1: This is The Game Football Podcast from The Times, as England reached their first major international final since 1966, all thanks to a dramatic night at Wembley. All will be discussed on this episode of The Game, Euro 2020. And to help me through it all, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson. How are you all? Good, thank (sighs) you, (laughs) Hugh. Cloud nine. Well, well, well. Not <laughs> what quite an even short sure to say. What a match! I'm a little bit shell shocked, to be honest. I mean, I don't. I'm, a, I'm like staring into space. This feeling is very unfamiliar. I don't know how to quite. You know, the first thing I and I'm very negative, as you all know. And the first thing I said to my <laughs> partner when she said, "Aren't you happy?" is the first thing I responded with. I would have been okay losing a semi final. I can't imagine <laughs> how it's going to feel to lose a final. So that was that, that oh, gives dude. you an indication oh, as to how negative I am and immediately, you know, feeling the worst. But yeah, I will come round to tomorrow morning. I'm sure I'll wake up with a spring in my step. How are you feeling, Tom? Similarly,
2: uh, unnerved. I think I said unnerved the last time and I'm still feeling that way. I think because of the nature of the game, it, it being quite tight and tense and the longer it went on, you thought surely not, not again, not again. But actually... I thought England played quite well in that sense. And they did look like they were going to score. Um, obviously the goal, which we'll come to was slightly fortuitous in some senses, but they did look like the better team. I thought Denmark tired. Um, and so in that sense, it was a relief when they scored rather than, Oh my God, I can't believe they've scored. Um so yeah I I think still settling into this idea that they're in a final as Henry Winter has written in his um, match report on the Times website now he's described it as the strangest rarest and most beautiful of words to write England are in a final and
1: I think you know I think he's got it right Alison how are you feeling?
0: Well I I get what you're saying Hugh I think what you're trying to say is you could sort of spend your life being a wallflower and saying, no one's asked me to marry them. But is that worse than being jilted at the altar, which is what it's going to feel like <laughs> <laughs> if England don't win the final? You can you can get a sort of perverse sense of, well, we didn't care anyway, if you get knocked out before the final, can't you? It's all very well the songs talking about how many years of hurt, but how many years of analysis, how many years of Knowing how to slag off England and knowing what to say is wrong with them and what they need to do better and what kind of manager they need and what kind of system they should deploy and why the whole history of how we train and coach players has been wrong from having muddy fields and booting it from the back to the front <laughs> and not understanding and not being technical enough. And now we're having to say,
1: winter break. Oh, they're
0: all right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the old winter, winter break briefed. argument. Yes. Yeah. Well, I we mean, have- look, at least, at least, Alison, there is at least, um, as I said, after the last, the last match. Now we're in a final. There's a new realm of montage that can happen. The BBC and ITV and all the TV channels. There's a new realm. There's the heartbreak in the final. We're in a new category now. That's exciting. At least, whatever <laughs> happens.
1: I mean, it's. I think it's a huge night for the nation. I, I'm clearly. L- Older than I used to be, everyone is, but um, (laughs) (laughs) what what I mean by that is I'm no longer um, a child with starry eyes looking up to uh, football stars and wanting to be like them. I I can now know that I was never going to be a player and so I, I watched the England team from afar in a totally different sense. But I think the kids tonight who dream of being Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling who were just about staying up past bedtime would have had the absolute night of their lives when England scored. And I think that's massive for the country. Um, And and we spoke about it last night, you know, some of the individual players, the characters in the England squad as well. So many people that you can look up to if you're a youngster. And I think them getting to a final, those individuals getting to a final is is massive for the country. How do you feel about it, Gregor, as a Scot?
3: <laughs> <laughs> that will have to be framed in that context you? <laughs> um, you frame it in your
1: answers to I, be perfectly I know, honest I know I know <laughs> I know
3: I, I, I made my case last night I, I looked, this is a very likeable team and I back up everything you've just said there and I watched those scenes at the end and thought I agree this is a momentous occasion a momentous time for this country not just in a football sense uh, you know when, when something this big happens it takes over the entire agenda, and um, you know that's that's amazing to live through. Actually, although I've been kind of sitting watching them on uh, on the TV with a six week old baby crying in my lap, oh, it's not really been <laughs> it's not been uh, the Euros of dreams for me. But it's this is a, a huge huge time for England. Having said all that, I just I, I I feel equally as heartbroken for Denmark because of the way that they've gone out. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty astonished by the kind of lack of of judgment. I astonished is the wrong word. I understand it because it, everyone the euphoria of reaching a final is 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 huge. But it was that, that was never apparently kicking a million years. And at, England with a better team by by some distance. But football is football games are won and lost on big moments. Spain were the better team against Italy. I think we can all agree on that. They, they were the better team over the 120 minutes. They probably didn't deserve to to lose. They went out. The narrative is Italy or the or the Warriors. Denmark were Warriors tonight, and to go out like that in the kind of the journey they've had is is tough. But putting all that to one side again, I'm very very happy for England and for you guys and for and for the players and for Gareth Southgate. I said it last night. These guys are likable and. They've done something to kind of refresh what it means to play for England and to watch them. And the journey continues.
1: Do you feel like it was a big night for the nation as well, Alison?
0: Yeah, no, it was. And I have, yes, for lots of reasons. Um, You know, let's include the pandemic in it. Uh, Proper crowds in the stadium, the biggest noise yet. And it, it was just terribly unlike... Most backing of England, which um, traditionally fans have been very quick to get on the back of an individual or several players or the manager when it's not gone right or they feel it's going wrong. There seems to have been a pact nationwide that yeah, Gareth Southgate is okay. He's done done well enough. We can now just support whatever decisions he makes. I can't. I actually can't believe there wasn't a single raised eyebrow when realish was taken off it was as if it's as if southgate is now a proper football genius and everyone loves him and that means you love everything he does and that means you love the team and how he's molded the team and it does feel unifying that sense of i've not ever been aware of that buying in completely buying in you'd probably say that's how they, that probably did happen in euro 96 but i'm not sure it did in quite the same way there was there were quite a lot of critiques, some of them quite cutting. So I think, I think this is unprecedented. Everyone just going with the flow, and um, maybe, maybe given what the country has been through, uh, that's what you get. You get people designed to focus on one thing. They focused on Emma Raducanu, first of all, and then she went out of Wimbledon. So we're going to focus on the England football team.
1: Tom, let's turn our attention to the evening and how it went. We've already spoken in small ways about the match itself, and we'll get to some of those big, big moments. But it almost had to be tense. It It was was one of those that I think some football fans thought Denmark will beat them. It'll be comfortable. But it, it never really felt like that for those in the know.
2: No, it didn't. And I mean, I saw a few journalists um, tweeting during the game, obviously quite passionately and patriotically saying, is this a good game? I've no idea. Um, and perhaps it's because I'm more cynical than most journalists but I was able to judge it slightly dispassionately because I was working and I thought it was a fantastic game. Um, I thought Denmark were brilliant in patches uh, particularly for most of the first half. England did what they've done in a lot of games and started quite well, quite brightly and then kind of sat off a little bit. And Denmark with Damsgaard were just superb, I thought, in the first half, and so it was a really tense, as you say, but really enthralling game. And I think England do deserve great credit for the way they bounced back after conceding that goal. There are a few images of Harry Kane doing the old Gary Lineker point to the head, "Let's keep our focus, lads," and that seemed to spark them into life a little bit. So I, I thought it was a really enthralling game up until some of the Danish substitutes I thought were quite strange and seemed to, you know, unhinge them a little bit, unpick them a little bit. And I thought it was interesting, again, to go to Alison's point about Gareth Southgate, what a genius, is that he didn't make as many substitutions until right towards the end in extra time. And actually, whilst you could easily sit there and go, put Rashford on, put Sancho on, England looked the better team progressively as Denmark more changes and England stuck with what they were doing.
1: It was such a close game for me watching. I didn't really find it entertaining in that sense but there was i think lots of nail biting going on where i was sitting um and and a feeling that england should have been better i've had loads of conversations i think we all have throughout the evening with friends some feeling that that I i had a friend that was saying england should really be playing denmark off the park and i had to reel out all the stats of all the matches they played against one another since 2002 and how it's never really an easy game they made five changes in normal time Gareth Southgate made one. They had fresher legs, but we had the quality still to come off the bench. It was a game of chess. It was cat and mouse. It was intriguing from that respect. Gregor, you are a neutral, unlike the rest of us. How did you find the match?
3: I thought it was very entertaining. I thought, um, you know, I agree, there were periods of the game where it was a little bit cagey, but there were also periods when it was pretty open and end to end. Um, And what, what you're saying is true. Denmark definitely tired, but England had... Fifty eight percent possession. You know they they had more of the more of the play. Um, they made Denmark work for a large periods of the game, and they definitely grew it. And you know, even when they got the penalty, uh, and even if they hadn't got that penalty, I, I believe probably England would have found a way. They were they were definitely knocking at the door. Ryan Sterling again taking it upon himself, taking responsibility, going at people, going, you know, just doing it for England. He was he was superb. Um, but so yeah, I th- I thought it was really entertaining. I thought it was, you know, as you say, as, as a neutral, I'm slightly less nail biting going on uh, in my house. But it was, um, you know, I again I watched it and thought Denmark as well. I've got serious, serious balls. <laughs> like they were, they were really they were you know fighting for each other, organised. Um, I say it again. It's a really tough way for them to go out after, after the way. After the way they've played in this tournament. Um so, you know, there wasn't much wasn't too much between the teams. Uh but England, you know, on the whole, I think, you know, you could say they deserved they deserved it in the end.
0: Let's just remember Denmark are a tenth a tenth of the size of England. It's you know, it was proper David and Goliath stuff, really. And they deserve they deserved a lot more from the coverage, really. They deserved that deserve to be told, maybe Denmark television were telling their people that was not a penalty. I mean, I've looked at it 10 times and there is no there is no contact. Peter Walton was saying on ITV, oh, remember, it has to be a clear and obvious um, error to be overturned. And that's missing the point completely if there's going to be VAR is to pick up those moments where it's a trick of the light, the angle's wrong for the referee and he should hold his hand up and say, oh, you know, from my angle, I thought there was contact. I'll go to the monitor, have a look. Oh, I can see there's no contact, no penalty. I just, it just, you know, all the plaudits we've had for it being run better, the VAR, it just, it just, just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever.
3: Yeah, I mean, I saw it in real time and thought, I, I thought there was penalty in real time. And then you watch your back. So, you know, it's just not, it's not a slight of the referee necessarily. But as you have said, to give you your due here throughout this tournament, it's a waste of time. That is a clear and obvious error because there was no contact. And then, you know, you even commentators tried to say that Jensen coming in from the side, kind of grazing his hip was enough. Maybe he's giving it for that. It was pretty perplexing. And even in the aftermath, there's no one really willing to say that it was a. I understand. I understand. This is a moment of euphoria. But. It was a shocking decision and I really, really feel for Denmark, I have to say that.
1: I wanted to do the the positive points, the two goals before we came to the the penalty decision, but we might as well well dive into it while we're here and we'll talk about the two goals that preceded it a little bit later on. I've told you all throughout that eventually (laughs) there was going to be a major decision from because the thing is, you can't do VAR half-hearted. It can't be this sort of light-touch VAR. Like if it's there, use it. If it's, if it's there and you're not going to use it, it's always going to have errors like this. I, I'm not saying that the referee doesn't give that penalty if he goes over and has a look, but there is no reason in a game of this magnitude while half the world is watching on, not to go over to the screen and make sure you're giving the right decision. None, there's none. And the UEFA can say, we don't want to stop the game constantly. you haven't stopped the game constantly you're in extra time now and you've given a penalty this is the occasion that it's okay to have a look doesn't matter which countries are involved you need to make sure that you're making the right decision and for whoever sat in the var box not to say to the referee you might want to have a look at that again i just think it's utterly disgraceful and i know it's gone in england's favor but you all know, I like watching football for a reason, not just, I'm not just an England fan, I'm a football fan, and I want to see two sides go out there, give their absolute best, and I don't want to see it decided by a terrible decision. In my opinion, that was a god-awful decision, but it's even worse when the referee doesn't go over and have a second look, uh, you know, and, and ultimately, they said they wanted it to be about the referee on the pitch making the decisions, for me, the VAR official just basically saying, "Well, look, he's made one decision. It, this is what it is. It's going to stand." There's nothing clear and obvious. I mean, firstly, I, I think that that in itself is an error. But I can't believe that if you've got VAR there, that you you wouldn't you wouldn't use it. I've said it before for red cards. I think if you're going to give a straight red card, go and have a second look. I think if you're going to give a penalty and decide a semi final European Championship, go and have another look. It's quite simple.
0: Here, 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 here. Clear miscarriages of justice. You don't. The point is, you don't want people leaving. The stadium or turning their tellies off thinking well that was wrong that was inaccurate right why, why isn't there a way of making sure we know whether the ball crossed the line or not or whether it was a penalty or not i know we'll invent var and then when it comes to an incredibly huge moment we'll ignore it bizarre
2: but i think it comes from and just trying to not not disagreeing with you Hugh. here I'm really not because i think you make a good point and you've obviously been very adamant on this throughout the tournament and you've been proved right in this sense but it comes from all the constant forensic analysis, which you know was where VAR was born from, the desire for everything to be absolutely right. Managers saying, this has cost me my job, this has cost us the game, et cetera, et cetera. And so the implementation of VAR what came with it was this kind of forensic over-analysis. And then we had the reaction to that that was so negative and, oh, you're killing the game, let it flow, et cetera, et cetera. And I can remember... Me being on the podcast earlier in the tournament and praising the referees for letting things go and saying, Isn't it great that they're being quite decisive? And I wonder whether that's almost got to them so much and been such a desired focal point for the refereeing of this tournament. Be decisive, be the leader on the pitch. You know, let's really try not to go to the screen on the side of the pitch that it's almost gone too far the other way now. I'm just trying, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying that's the reason, but I'm just trying to trying to work out whether that's why stood on the pitch, the VAR said, mm, nah, probably not worth it. Stick
3: with it. I would still praise the referees for letting, I think the referee has been broadly broadly speaking, has been good. I've, I've enjoyed that there's been tackles going on and sometimes you think, oh, he's going to give a free kick there. Not that you'd want it. And it's, he's let yeah. the play go. There's a number of instances that happened tonight. In fact, he yeah. thought, oh, he's letting the game go. You know, I think this is a bit of a throwback. This is good. This is good for the entertainment, for the spectacle. But none of that matters when there's a, when there's a blatant mistake and you have the opportunity to change it. So like, that, that's where VAR is making, if there's, if there's a clear error, a clear miscarriage of justice and they have the opportunity to, to make it right, then not doing so is baffling. So it's nothing to do with the referee. And as, as I say, I watched it in real time and thought that was a penalty kick. So I don't blame the referee. I blame VAR.
1: Uh, Look, like I say, England go through. So we get here. We get to sit here and reflect on the positivity of of that happening. But I think if it was the other way around, like I tweeted a little bit earlier on, our media is acting like it's an international incident, frankly. You know, genuinely, I can't see we would have lost our we would have lost our minds. Tomorrow, we will be talking about UEFA. Please replay the game. Get Denmark back. <laughs> I'm being deadly serious. I mean, I yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just trying. Speaking of I'm montages, that would have been Because
3: on... it, it's too much. It's too much. It
1: that would have been on the montage, wouldn't it? And I thought, I agree with Alison, I thought it was sad for our broadcasting, not all of it, because I hear that there have been comments on the radio that said penalty should have been overturned, but from what I saw on on TV, to sit back and hear ex-England international saying, one, I don't care, another saying, I'll take it, as if they're stood in the pub and not give the respect to Denmark that I think they deserved for their performance throughout the competition, and simply the incident in itself, which I thought was incredibly harsh, to sit back and say there's no point discussing it because it's gone in our favour, Again, you know, we were talking about English arrogance all over social media today. I mean, talk about underlining it.
2: I was just going to say it's difficult, isn't it? Because for terrestrial TV broadcasters on the biggest moment of the summer and, you know, I I can, I'm sat here and I can hear cars beeping their horns outside and like <laughs> people going absolutely mad. My 22-year-old sister, who's never really paid attention to a, a football game, despite me dragging her to Lincoln games throughout her life, messaged me at full time being like, get in. You know, I just doesn't really know what it means, but just that it's brilliant. And so, you know, thank God we're here to analyze it in a more forensic manner. But I I think, you know, we can be the voices of reason and we can pay tribute to Denmark and we can criticize the VAR. But I do understand where that kind of euphoria comes from, because there's also in a sense of, my God, isn't it marvelous?
1: And before anyone blames me, just remember, I wanted to talk about all the positive things first. You took me into the penalty <laughs> <Let's go for laughs> before it, I on, wanted to talk about all the brilliant things. So, no, I wanted to start by Damsgaard's free kick because it was incredible. And I was like, what, what a, a goal. Kick. And I screamed and then my partner came running in and said, why aren't you celebrating more? And then she looked at the screen and went, <laughs> oh, Denmark. But it was such a great <laughs> goal.
3: I could quite easily be the get negative here again. I, I think Pickford... I think all the th- all the positive all the positive things we no. were saying about Pickford uh, about him being much calmer, have no. have started to go out the window in the last two games. No. he's looking a lot no. bit panicky again. So, uh, uh, look, it was a wonderful strike. Two, the two things can be true: it's a wonderful strike, and he should have done better.
2: There you go. Mm, I'm not having oh, yeah. yeah. A wonderful strike, a wonderful strike, and I agree. He is looking a bit more fidgety and Pickford esque. Yeah. Uh, in the last few games, there was the moment against Ukraine. There was a couple of dodgy clearances, but I'm sticking by him. Golden glove
1: goalkeeper you rolled of the the ball straight out to a Denmark player earlier on. Tom. Yeah, all right. Look, we all have our uh, moments, okay?
4: <laughs> Leave the guy alone.
1: I, but I'm hey, not. He's having, on that his way to a free kick.
2: I'm not having that. He should have stopped that free kick. I think Denmark did a very clever thing with the wall where they moved to block his view. I mean, I don't really know why England had about four or five players in the wall when the ball was about. 32 yards from goal or something I'm not having that he should have stopped that it was an unbelievable unbelievable strike and just very quickly while we're on Denmark and on the subject of goalkeepers how good is Casper Schmeichel by the way was I, I, like, yeah. Lee Dixon on commentary referred to him as one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League the guy's one of the best goalkeepers in the world isn't he like he's yeah. unbelievably yeah. good he's superb I mean, and I, I, you know, I hate to be the guy who comes who tweets something and then says it on a podcast. But is it just because he plays for Leicester that is, is it is it just because he plays for Leicester
1: that he's not he's unbelievably good? That save from Maguire was like superb. I don't mean this to be disrespectful to Leicester fans, but I was amazed about three seasons ago that he wasn't bought by you know, one of the teams that was regularly in the Champions League then. Don't worry, he's doing it now and he's a Leicester City <laughs> legend and he's exactly where he needs to be. But, it, it, you know, you hear all these clubs talking about we need a new goalkeeper and it's so rare that Kasper Michael is one of the ones mentioned. He's so consistent. He's been unbelievable. The first goal was incredible and uh, Jordan Pickford, you know, I'm, I'm 50-50 on that one. But, Alison, you must have been, in a small way, happy to see that free kick go in because... You know, you did call early on that Denmark were the dark horses.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I did, and so I was pleased it went in. Absolutely, football first, nationality second. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think in this tournament, what we've discovered is um, the football gods decided as a joke they weren't going to allow any goals direct from free kicks, and so, but they were having going to have a lot of fun with own goals. Anyway, they must have been. Making some sandwiches or something because the, 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 the a beautiful goal is scored and they think oh no no and so they make sure the very next goal is an own goal and I think that underlines what um, Tom was saying about Schmeichel you know he was beaten by something he could not have saved you know that cross came in and his his captain sort of bundles it in because there's nothing else he can do It's sort of from a Denmark point of view it's sort of freaky freaky really there's not nothing Schmeichel could have done. And then, and then when he's asked to save a penalty, he does. So it's like, you know, he is probably man of the match. And if you're man of the match at semi-final level um, as the goalkeeper, then you have every right to have people speculating whether you might be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He certainly does lift his game for the big moments. I've seen, I've seen Kasper Schmeichel make mistakes, but when it matters, he rarely does, actually.
3: The fact that he was man of the match also tells you that England, you know, we're the better team. Like we, we have they to, were, yeah. they, they were, they had, they, they, they were the team who took it to Denmark, like, you know, took it to the opposition far more. Denmark had spells and they were real threat in the break, particularly in the first half, there were some spaces England were leaving kind of either side of the center halves. Denmark, you know, they, they, they rode an early storm cause England came, England were excellent at the start and then they grew into the game and, and you know, they had some really good spells, but England, England over the, over the piece were the better team there's no two ways about that
2: time for another positive hue i feel like you should have like a little horn or something like (laughs) positive (laughs) horn you know just to make sure listeners know that we're not all doing no no i'm not saying you are i'm not saying you are we're all in this together one happy the train is now approaching junction at platform passengers
3: report please stay on board next stop road station
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
4: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question,
3: the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: Team on the game podcast. But another positive, Kyle Walker. How, How good is that guy? If there's one thing I want to come from the final... It's Kyle Walker in a race with that little remote control car before kickoff from one end of the pitch <laughs> to the other. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? The guy is absolutely lightning quick. He's so important to that England defense. Gregor, I'm I'm not getting this wrong, am I? As in terms of recovery runs yeah. as a fullback, I mean, I've, I've heard that you were fairly slow as a player. having Playing Excuse alongside me? a guy like that, <laughs> I mean, that's just what I've heard. It's just what I've heard. <laughs> playing alongside a guy like that must be an absolute blessing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The... The one in the first half when he when he recovered, I think with Damsgaard
3: was was through. He's just you know he sometimes you know a players running at him and, and he can he can almost show them the whole touchline and, and give them a couple of yards. Say on you go, I'm daring you almost to to try and be yeah. It's just such an asset. So he is he's not really. You know, there's a small period we're being hypercritical here. a Small period in the first half against Ukraine where he looked a little bit wobbly, but apart from that, he's been one of England's best players this tournament, and undoubtedly. Um, and I'd say Harry Maguire again. Again, he was. He looked like a a leader at the back. So yeah, there was some some really big performance from England. Absolutely. Um, I think I think they showed the strength and depth too. that. The the players that came on, Grealish, Foden. You know, they've got a little bit of of class, a little bit of extra that that um, you know could make the
1: difference for them in the final too. I think there were so many standout performances. I think Raheem Sterling for England was brilliant as well. Calvin Phillips had another very, very good game. Um, look, I want to look ahead to the Italy game in a little bit. Um, I should have mentioned this a little bit earlier on. There were also two balls on the pitch when the penalty was awarded, but I'm not going to say any more about that. Um, was that? Kane, good, yeah, there were. In fact, Raheem Sterling dribbled past it. It was on the pitch for about a minute before... Um, before the penalty was awarded, but you know who needs VAR to to you know iron these things out? <laughs> I thought Kane was was more himself tonight. Um, he played a big part in the equaliser, dropping deep. He played the ball through to Saka, who of course crossed, and it was it would have been tapped in by Sterling had it not been turned in by the Denmark defender Kier. But um, but I I I, I think. If he can play that well again, it, wasn't, it was no frills, but I just think he was, he was tenacious. He was there in the box. He, was, he, he couldn't quite get his shot off so many times, but he was in the right position to score a goal. And I think if he does that in the final, then I think England have a great chance. Tom? Well, it's interesting you
2: mentioned that first goal because I was watching and there was a moment about two or three minutes before that goal where Kane came all the way into England's half to pick up the ball. And Kier came all the way with him. And I was thinking, is he man-marking him all game? And he, he wasn't, but just in that moment, he followed him all the way into England's half. And then a few minutes later, Kane dropped deep again and Kiar didn't go with him. And Hoiberg kind of nearly picked him up, but didn't quite. And he played that ball through um, for Saka. And as you say, that's more the Kane we've seen this season. And I think it's interesting, the re- reverting back to Saka, because I think with having Saka and Sterling, that version of Harry Kane is what you can really get something out of when you've got those two players making runs in behind. When you've got the Harry Kane, the recent Harry Kane, the cultured dropping deep Harry Kane, that's when you know those two things, those pacey players running in behind, really hurt teams. And it'd be interesting to see because obviously a lot was made about Spain not playing strikers up against Chiellini and Benucci, playing players who were dropping into that space and saying, "Do you want to come? Do you want to come and follow me?" Or do you want to stay where you are? That was where Morata's goal came from, from him dropping deep and playing a one-two. It'd be really interesting to see, A, how Italy try and combat that. And B, if Gareth Southgate says to Harry Kane, get in that pocket every single time.
1: 2-1 up. Jack Grealish was taken off, having been brought on a little bit earlier on. I loved this from Gareth Southgate, Alisson. I loved it because the human waistcoat was back. You know, he backed himself. <laughs> he went, why do we need a third? We've, we've already won. We're better than these lot. Let's see it out now. And he brought on Kieran Trippier and he took off Jack Grealish. And uh, look, that smacks of having a plan. And that's the thing that we were worried about coming into this competition. He now knows his own mind. Are you confident he will have a plan for Italy as well?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty. of course he'll have a plan. I'm pretty confident it'll be a... A relatively negative one as well. I mean, he's not. <laughs> it, it could be a really boring final. I think. <laughs> I think Italy, Italy will be aware of, the, you know, the role that England are on and the passion in the stadium, and that, you know, what what should they do? Absorb, absorb, probably, and try and catch on the break, assuming that the home team attack. But I think England will be thinking Ooh, we're not going to fall into that trap. There's going to be there's going to be quite a lot of um, lot of defenders with not very much to do for a bit in that game. I, I mean, I just think it's astonishing he took Grealish off. It can only mean that the morale in the camp is absolutely top notch because it's the sort of thing you could do that could create a rift or make people think, well, that's a bit cruel. Nor in normal football, if you Bring on a a beloved attacker, and then haul them off because you think you've got you know, the, the the only goal that you're going to need. Um, it's just it's just seen as, as 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 ruining a player's confidence or having you know repercussions for the next match or so on. It's just it is breaking convention to do that a bit, and it really does pigeonhole Grealish as having a very specific niche role in the team, which is to win, unsettle. Unsettled, a tired, a tired defence, um, and win free kicks and just rattle things up a bit, and then if you get a goal another way, fine. Then you can, you know, you don't need don't need, need, need him anymore. Um, and, and Jack Relish is so much more than that. So I don't know, it, you know, <laughs> the sort of things that in normal times would would make you think, has he lost the plot? But because he's now been given this godlike role, it doesn't matter. I find it astonishing, really. But I I mean, it it has to be indicative that everyone's buying into everything him and his backroom staff are doing.
2: It is astonishing. You're right, Alison. But he is quite boring tactically, Gareth Southgate, but he is also breaking convention, as you say. He's not just taking off the wonder boy, Jack Grealish. He's trying two or three different formations, teams, changing his team every other knockout game in a tournament. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he had something else up his sleeve. Marcus Rashford's going to start against Italy, against the old lads. Knock it in behind, get, in, get him in behind, play the ball over the top, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer style. Who knows? It's exciting. Who knows what Gareth's got off his sleeve.
1: (laughs) I did want to ask this question because it was asked on TV. And as far as I was concerned, all of the answers were totally unsatisfactory. So I figured you three would be able to answer it. It was, what was the reason that England persevered tonight? Um, And I I thought it was a really interesting question, Mark Pugat. You're a legend of the game. Um, So I've stolen it. And the reason, Gregor, that I think I wanted to ask this question was, everything that was said about England in that answer, you could have said about Denmark. And that's the reason I I, that I wanted to find the the five percent that made England the the, the difference because I think England were better, but I think everything that I heard about them tonight, you know, the character that they showed, you know, the determination that they showed, you could have easily said about their opponents it was that tight a game for me. But I do think there was something different about this England team. Whether it was just quality off the bench in the end that was the major difference. I don't know, but I do think England outplayed them. And I'm I'm not a ex footballer. I wondered what you thought.
3: There's not a great deal between these teams. That's 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 fairly obvious to say. I think England have had players like Raheem Sterling who took responsibility, big game players who made the difference. They really did. They, I don't think it was like you know there wasn't a tactical masterstroke by either manager. They, both te- both teams played pretty much how we would have expected expected them. They both had spells when they were in the ascendancy, but when it mattered, they had England had. More quality. They had individuals who could do something to win the game, and you know, it, although although it wasn't a penalty, I've said this already. Sterling kept go, kept kept taking it upon himself, kept taking the responsibility, kept going, trying to go beyond players. And I don't really think that Denmark had that that player. They didn't have that player of that kind of quality. I don't think so. Uh, uh, look, such fine margins. This is this is tournament knockout football. There were very fine margins, and England came out on the right side of them t- uh, tonight.
1: Tom, what can England take from today and, th- and the fact that they managed to fight their way through into a massive final against Italy?
2: I don't know whether they take anything necessarily new other than being unshackled from the burden of finally making a final. I think, as Greg has said about the fine margins, that's what's interesting about this England team and that's perhaps where Gareth Southgate deserves credit because when you think about this tournament, I mean, look at Italy, it was a tight game against Belgium. They beat Spain on penalties. Spain themselves came through against Switzerland on penalties. There's been lots of tight games. England, yes, we'll all remember that Germany game and the euphoria of the final 20 minutes and scoring those two goals. But that was a really tight game, really tight, really close. And I mean, other than England beating Ukraine, I can't really think of too many games, even in the group stages where it was like people being blown away. So maybe it's just the reassurance that the way they've done it it so far is right. And that gives... The squad, the, the, the starting 11 and Gareth Southgate that we're here on merit and whatever system we pick to try and combat Italy will be the right one for us because everything they've done so far has, has, has paid off. I mean, even going back to the group stages, we're all, we're even going back to the group stages, sorry, just, you know, we're talking about that Scotland game and being like, oh God, it's all, it's all horrible. It's all nightmare. That was partly because we kind of thought we should be beating Scotland 3-0. Sorry, Greg. Scotland played really well. England were really tight. Southgate was like, "Let's get a point. Let's qualify. Job done."
0: But England have yet but, to play a team of Italy's caliber in this tournament.
2: Do you not think Germany? In terms, of, street, are in terms of in terms,
0: in terms, in terms of who they were expected to, that would be expected to, you know, in terms of results and ranking and form and home advantage, or putting everything together, Italy's the first team that the bookmakers might say. They're better than
3: England but England are fourth in the world I don't, I don't think I don't think you can get to the final of the Euros and say that they've not played a team you know you can only beat what's put in front of you I know it's a cliche but it's the truth and yes Germany are not Germany of old Denmark were a very very good team and but yes they I think they're they ranked 10th in the world um yes Italy Italy have been the best team in the tournament some people could could feasibly argue that England have now but Italy, I think, have been the most entertaining and, and the most resolute, the most complete-looking team, really, in the in the competition. So this is
2: undoubtedly their biggest test, and it'll be fascinating to see how they come out of it. I think, from that point of view, we can probably all agree that it's you know obviously we all enjoyed Denmark's story, Alison. You're quite right, and they've been absolutely fantastic. But this is the best best two teams in the final, isn't it? Just, just, just. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? It's great. There's another positive. Ding. Wrap <laughs> that up, go. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've got views on Euro 2020, which I think I'll leave for after the tournament to be finished, frankly. But I, I'm, let's look ahead to, to Sunday generally. And Alison, I wanted to ask you about the next few days before we end the podcast, what we're about to experience, because it's going to be something that many people you included, have never experienced before. It's going to be absolutely mad, isn't it? Wall to wall for the next few days, everywhere we look, even more so than it already has been.
0: Possibly scarily so. I mean, I I, I love football more than a lot of people, but I sometimes want to turn on the radio and not hear someone phoning in from Torquay saying their cat's wearing a collar with a... St. George Cross <laughs> on it and where's their lucky sock gone? I I'm Has my, my uncle again, for God's sake. <laughs> I don't Not know again. if I can take much more of this sort of sense that, you know, so many for so many people they have no joy in their life other than if England were to win. And uh, I, I find I just find that slightly strange that we all go about our lives and have our own parochial clubs whether it's rugby cricket football whatever and get involved and trot along every week and go down the pub and talk about what we talk about and then suddenly it becomes this i need england to win i find that rather strange really and i find it slightly scary and it it taps into other elements of jingoism and nationalism which i don't like at all and i would rather i would rather people took joy from hosting, we are are effectively now hosting the tournament, took more joy from that than the idea that it says something about us as people, whether we win or not. I I, I find that leap very peculiar. So I will find the build-up rather difficult, actually, because it will be insane and it will be illogical and it will be feverish and it probably won't have much basis in the sense of what football is. It'll just be... If we're not careful they'll just be far too jingoistic and i don't like that at all
1: gregor what do you think will it be
3: i mean well, i, I agree with some of that I, I think we we're verging on being too cynical here i think it, well, we're seeing that international football stirs emotions and passion and togetherness that no other form of football does quite the same and you know that's a that's a joy to behold even though you know it was very brief for uh for my lot <laughs> um You know, living in this country, I think it's going to be yes. There's going to be there's going to be some hysterical, over the top, you know, insane build up. But when the game arrives, that's going to be uh, a moment when well over half the country is joined together with with one kind of hope and aim and uh, desire. Um, And that's that's I think that's still pretty special. There's not many things in, in in the world that can do that there's not many things in life that can do that i've seen that to uh to my girlfriend earlier i thought you know pro- <laughs> Probably like a royal wedding or something. What else? What else apart from England gets half the population? Oh
2: God! Don't bring the royals
3: into it, Craig. Bloody. <laughs> <hell>.
2: <laughs> One minute you're supporting England, next minute you're bringing the royals into it. What's happened to you? <laughs> who are you?
3: Trust me, I've never been someone to sit there and watch a royal wedding. I'm just saying that there is another half of the population who would sit down and watch the royal wedding. <laughs> but and mm. I, I read that in the paper. That was a throwaway comment. I I, I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> even be certain that's true. You know, Matt Lawton said they t- told us the TV statistics last night. It's it was like. The biggest event of the year, so so that I think that's still pretty special, and it's going to be it's whatever the result. This is this has been a huge leap forward for England.
1: Tom, what's the maddest thing someone's going to do in the next few days regarding the football? I think someone's probably going to jump out of an aeroplane with no parachute and land on a trapeze net. And if they're nearer the England flag than the Italy flag, then that means England are going to win. Or someone's um, magical pigeon's going to fly somewhere and predict that. <laughs> That if they land in Italy rather than somewhere in Gateshead, then that means that Italy are going to win it, and there's going to be something silly, isn't it? I'm on board with the magical pigeon. What would he be called?
2: Holly <laughs> or something like that. Um, no, well, there'll be a, there'll be a ta- there'll be some bad tattoos going on tonight, will not there? And over the coming days, there'll be bets made with friends. Particularly, you know, there's going to be a frantic uh, scampering for all sorts of tickets now, aren't there? When when the tickets, I think, go on sale tomorrow. Um, lots of my friends who were lucky enough, a couple of them who were lucky enough to go to the game tonight, it, immediately when I said, oh, how was it? What, what's it like? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. I think we deserve to win. Anyway, 10 a.m. tomorrow. Here we go. Let's do it. You know, that there's going to be lots of that going on. Oh, can I have a ticket? Oh, my God. Yeah, you can definitely. I'll pay, I'll pay for a holiday. Amazing. There'll be lots of promises made. There'll be lots of bets made. And there'll be lots of um, lots of regretting, I'm sure, come Sunday when England win. And there'll be lots of bad, bad, <laughs> bad promises have to be kept.
3: And there's going to be lots of, it's coming home.
1: <laughs> well, it is coming home. So we can finally yeah. celebrate. It's on its way home. We'll there's one stop left podcast, on the train, right? Gregor.
2: <laughs> Do you think we can retire that song if they win? Because, I mean, that's that's a serious bonus, isn't it? It might become the national anthem if they
1: win, to be perfectly honest. It might never yeah, go am away. Am allowed
2: to say that? Does that bar me from any football podcast ever if I say that out loud? No,
1: not for me. You'll still let me on. Cheers. I will. I will. (laughs) I will let you on in the coming days because there'll be plenty for us to discuss in the game podcast. And I'm sure Tom Clark will be back alongside Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson. Thank you for being with me for the past 50 minutes or so. We've got more to come. We will preview the weekend's football a couple of days, I think, out uh, from what will be a huge event for all England fans. The final of Euro 2020. Gareth, Southgates three lions are there they'll be taking on roberto mancini's italy loads more great content to come in the times and the sunday times as well so make sure you're subscribed just go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial we will see you soon cue
0: a little bit of neil diamond and a little bit of jerusalem Describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: Voiceover on settings,
0: so you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from ten to eleven.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
4: Small details or big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project